Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. We're on our summer break right now, working on some exciting new projects and season seven of Tumble. But summer isn't for work, it's for play and adventure. And so we wanted to share one of our favorite adventure episodes from season five. The volcano eruption adventure takes us to the top of a volcano that's about to erupt. You'll hear all about it right after this. Before we get to this week's episode of Tumble, we've got some new patrons to thank. Romney and Jasper. Thanks so much for becoming new supporters of Tumble on Patreon. And if you're waiting for a birthday shout-out, don't worry, you'll get it at the end of the episode. Just keep listening. Our guide to volcanic adventure is Helena Berman. Yeah, my name is Helena Berman, and I'm a volcanologist. Helena will be taking us to the top of a volcano, but she's really focused on the action going on deep underneath it. I was studying the earthquakes that happen at volcanoes. So she's a a volcanologist, which means she's studying volcanoes. But why is she studying earthquakes? Often they will tell us if the volcano is about to erupt. She works in a field of science called volcano seismology, and seismology is the study of earthquakes and the waves that move through the Earth. Yeah, so volcano seismology is what you get when you put volcanoes and earthquakes together, like a little natural disaster salad. (laughs) Exactly. Just add some olive oil and some vinegar. So delicious. (laughs) So to travel to the top of this volcano, we're first going back in time to when Helena was a young volcano seismologist on Eruption Watch in 2008. I was at the Alaska Volcano Observatory, and we watch all the volcanoes real close to see if any of them are waking up. Wait, so what's a volcano observatory? Is it like you sit behind a telescope and look at volcanoes from far away? (laughs) There are no telescopes there, but it does have lots of other kinds of special equipment. It measures volcanic activity and gives warnings to people nearby. There's only five volcano observatories in the U.S. in areas where there's lots of volcanoes around. So I guess that means there's lots of volcanoes in Alaska? We have 54 volcanoes that are active, and we have a bunch more that are dormant. They're asleep, and they might be going extinct. I love the idea that volcanoes are just, like, asleep or waking up. It's like, oh, oh, man, oh, time to explode. (laughs) But why are there so many there in Alaska? Well, Alaska may seem cold, but it's actually a real hot spot for volcanoes. Alaska is part of the ring of fire that goes around the Pacific Ocean. The ring of fire. The ring of fire is where 75% of the world's volcanoes and earthquakes happen. Uh, Would you say it uh, burns, burns, burns? The Ring of Fire? (laughs) Yes. It surrounds most of the Pacific Ocean. It's where pieces of Earth's crust, called tectonic plates, hit up against each other. They're colliding and pulling apart in a process of creation and destruction that's been going on since Earth formed. Meaning it makes volcanoes and earthquakes happen. And it's responsible for how Alaska looks on the map with its little hook of islands. 
all the way along the south coast of Alaska and out along the Aleutian Islands, they're called. Those are all volcanoes. But one of Alaska's most famous volcanoes is on the mainland. There's a volcano close to Anchorage called Mount Redoubt. You can see Mount Redoubt on the horizon from Alaska's biggest city. It's about 100 miles away. Redoubt is a composite volcano, also known as a stratovolcano. That means it has steep sides and it's built out of a combination of ash, lava, and chunks of stone. Like all this stuff, it throws up and then hardens like that gross shirt you never cleaned. <laughs> exactly. And Redoubt is known to be active and potentially dangerous to people. And the last time Redoubt erupted, actually an airplane got caught in the ash cloud and nearly crashed. Oh my goodness. So somebody flew through a volcanic eruption and actually survived? Yeah, but you don't want to try that again. No, I do not. <laughs> That's why it's so important to have a volcano observatory to be able to give humans the heads up on eruptions that could affect many lives. Readout's first warning sign came in summer 2008. There were some geologists that were working up there. They make maps of the rocks. While the geologists were mapping away, they smelled something kind of funky. Like, uh, what kind of gas smell? Is this another fart joke opportunity? Oh, yeah. They started smelling a funny gas smell. They smell like rotten eggs. Okay, so the volcano's actually farting. <laughs> the geologists went down to the Alaska Volcano Observatory and told Helena's team what they'd observed. That rotten egg smell turned out to be a major sign that Readout might be getting ready to erupt. And so then we started keeping a closer eye on Readout with the earthquakes happening there. Wait, so how do we go from smelling rotten eggs to earthquakes? That's a good question. Helena told me that earthquakes are a common warning sign that a volcano is active or awakening. Each volcano is its own personality. So there's some volcanoes that make hundreds of earthquakes every day and that's just normal for them. When gas moves through the crust, it can make earthquakes. Yeah, so the gas is pushing its way through the ground and that causes the earthquakes. Exactly. The other thing that can cause earthquakes is magma, the molten rock beneath Earth's crust. Magma has to break the crust to get out. And when the crust breaks, that makes earthquakes. Molten rock breaking the crust is so hardcore. I know, right? Magma is always flowing around beneath Earth's crust, but the movement of the tectonic plates pushes it up towards the surface, cracking the rock around it. That's why Helena was looking closely for earthquakes beneath readout. Very gradually, we started to see one or two earthquakes pretty deep below the volcano, which is unusual. Wait, but how do you see an earthquake? Don't you just feel them? Here's the thing. Even if you were standing right above one, you couldn't feel it. They're too small and deep underground. That's why scientists use a sensor that can measure earthquakes. It's called a seismometer. Seismometers are installed close to the volcano, and they send their data back to the volcano observatory. All of a sudden in January of 2009, I remember it, on the earthquake record, we started to see all this uh, activity, like we call it activity when the sensors kind of register the ground shaking a lot more. Helena was on duty when it started happening. And I remember checking the data and seeing this and thinking, uh-oh, that's not right. 
she quickly told the other volcanologists what was happening. Together, they decided... This is probably getting real now. Explosions are coming! Explosions are coming! But it still took some time. For a few more weeks, Helena and her fellow volcanologists watched the seismometer data very closely. Earthquakes were happening. They get closer and closer together in time. And that's what we call a swarm. Uh, an earthquake swarm? That sounds like, I don't know, maybe like a little worse than a Sharknado. (laughs) Definitely. And just like the rotten egg smell was the sign to start watching earthquakes, these swarms were the sign that it was time to plan a trip to the top of the volcano. So, you see, that's funny, because for me, that sounds like it's exactly the time not to take a trip to the top of the volcano. In fact, to try to get a little further away from it if you can. (laughs) They needed to place the sensors in the heat of the action. If you have your sensor too far away, you don't really hear the earthquakes. You have to be right on top of the volcano. The sensors that measure the volcano year-round are far away from the crater itself. So the plan was to quickly fly out in a helicopter and put a bunch of seismometers around the top of the volcano just before the eruption. This is like just in case you didn't think scientists were actually action heroes. (laughs) Did they hang from the helicopter tread on their way down? (laughs) It's hard to land a helicopter on an Alaskan volcano at the end of winter, so it is pretty daring. The sky is dark and the weather is bad. The volcanologist had to wait for conditions to improve in order to drop off the sensors. By the time we were ready to do that... It had started doing its, like, final ramp-up. Finally, a clear day arrived. Elena's team loaded their equipment into the helicopter and took off. They flew two hours to the very top of the volcano. So for us up there, it was just a beautiful day, and we could see lots of steam coming out the top because it was, you know, there was heat coming up, melting the glacier. Helena enjoyed being on the snowy, steamy peak. She would have loved to spend the whole day up there. But back at the volcano observatory, nails were probably being bitten. Other volcanologists sat in front of screens, monitoring the signals that Helena couldn't feel or see. Kind of like the uh, control room for a rocket launch. Yeah, a lot like that. If it looked like the volcano was about to blow, Helena's team would get a call to evacuate immediately. So they raced around the mountain, getting their work done as quickly as possible. Then they jumped back into the helicopter. As they took off, Helena was almost hoping that readout would blow. And I would have loved to see a big old boom come out of the volcano, but I didn't. 24 hours later, readout erupted. It sent a plume of ash and gas over 50,000 feet into the air. We were long gone by the time it exploded, but it exploded. Volcanic ash reached as far as Anchorage, and volcanic mud flows cascaded down the sides of the mountain. A brownish-yellow haze came over the region. That sounds enormous, but did anyone get hurt? No, the Volcano Observatory did its job right. And those sensors did their job too? We got much better recordings of the stuff that was going on. 
It had been 20 years since the volcano's last eruption, and the technology behind the seismometers had improved by a lot. So it's like they could get a much better picture of the earthquakes going on during the eruption. Totally, because at the time Helena was racing around the mountains, there were a lot of things that they didn't know. You can think that you know what's about to happen, and you can go put your sensors out, but then it's anyone's guess of like what you're going to record or if it's going to even erupt. Oh, so it could have erupted when they were on it or not erupted at all? I mean, they didn't know. But with the help of that last-minute sensor delivery, volcanologists can now tell the story of Redoubt's eruption. Volcanoes tend to erupt in the same way every time, so they now have a much better idea of what to expect the next time with Redoubt. So when they smell that rotten egg smell and see those earthquake swarms, they'll know what to do. Helicopter Volcano Go! Now that you've learned about Mount Redoubt, Why don't you invent your own volcano? Choose the type of volcano and give it a name. Then tell the story of its eruption. What are the warning signs that it's about to erupt? And what kind of eruption might it have? Thanks today to Dr. Helena Berman and also to Dr. Erica Rader for connecting us. You might enjoy our other volcano episode with Erica, What Would Earth Be Like If Volcanoes Didn't Exist? We have resources to learn more about volcanoes if you want to invent your own. Or, if you're curious, on the blog on our website, sciencepodcastforkids.com. We'll also have a link to Helena's website where you can learn more from her about volcanoes and earthquakes in Alaska. You can hear more from our interview with Helena when you pledge $1 or more a month to our Patreon at patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. Sarah Lentz is our head of partnerships. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote and produced this show. And I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I make all of the music. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more stories of science discovery. Well, thanks so much for listening to that episode. And now it's time for birthday shoutouts. But before we launch to that, I've got a gift for everyone, whether it's your birthday this week or not. It's a fun fact. June 30th is International Asteroid Day, a day devoted to the study of asteroids. To celebrate, look up asteroids at your local library or online and see what you find. And now let's get back to the birthday shoutouts. Karina Joy, every day Mommy, Daddy, and Magnolia are surprised by the new discoveries you make and the talents you share. And we are so proud of how you've become a loving and caring big sister since Julian arrived in September. Happy birthday on June 25th. Happy birthday also to Holden Cameron on June 27th and Dexter on June 29th. Tony D., what do you say to a tree on its birthday? Sappy birthday! Wishing you a very sappy birthday on July 1st. Mama May and Daddy Say love you. And finally, Rune. Mama and Papa love seeing what wonders you discover in the world. Happy birthday on July 4th. Thanks to all of you and to everyone who supports Tumble on Patreon. To get a birthday shout-out of your own like these fine folks, just go to patreon.com slash tumblepodcast and support us at the $5 level or higher. Once again, that's patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. And join us next time for more stories of science discovery and more birthday shout-outs.